0: eating disorders thrive in secrecy and shame. It's when we create a safe space for honest conversation that we'll find the opportunity for healing. Hi there, I'm Dr. Karen Nelson, licensed clinical psychologist at Melrose Center, welcoming you to Melrose Heals, a conversation about eating disorders, a podcast designed to explore, discuss, and understand eating disorders and mental health. On today's episode, we'll be sharing a story of recovery. I'm joined by Jason Searcy, who will take us through his daughter's journey of diagnosis, treatment, and what it means to live in recovery. Now, before I begin, I invite you to take a deep breath and join me in this space. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. I'm so happy to have you here with me. Thank you. Well, I'm so looking forward to having a conversation about your daughter's eating disorder journey from your perspective as her dad.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. I want to help people as much as I can as far as, you know, what I went through. But, you know, um, Belle said it's okay to talk about her. That's right. And that's, that's why we're here.
0: I love it. So full disclosure, right? Um, your daughter has given us permission to talk about her eating disorder um, struggle and recovery from your perspective as her dad. But let's maybe start at the beginning. Tell us about your daughter and what it was like before the eating disorder showed up.
1: When everyone, I think, th- thinks their kid is the best, right? Of course. You know,
0: I hope we think <laughs> that. that. <laughs> right.
1: But I feel mine was the best of all time. It's just uh, Belle and I had a great relationship growing up. Um, I guess I kind of knew that Belle was going to be my only kid. And so I just felt that way. And so I really spent a lot of time enjoying every moment of the entire process. You know, when she was little, um, we would play together all the time. I'm a truck driver. And so I had long days working. I'd usually go to work before she woke up. I'd be home, you know, 6 o'clock at night. By the time I got home, she was raring to go. She couldn't wait for me to get home, and we would play and have a blast. I mean, every day, that's what we did. And we both looked forward to that a lot. So when this all began was when she was about 8th grade. And I, I knew that she was going to need more independence. I could see it coming. You know, she starts hanging around with friends more, not dad isn't number one priority anymore i I saw it coming i knew this was coming i was like okay i'm gonna enjoy this part as well you know let her have some independence you know step back a little bit she wants to be her own person i get it and so it just caught me off guard so much because i felt like i was doing the right thing by letting, letting her have her independence but as it turned out she was led down the wrong path and I didn't see it. And it's funny because people say, well, it happens so quickly, but yet it happens so gradually you don't notice it. I didn't notice her weight loss because it happens so slowly when it when it's happening, right? She It started off by she saying, I'd like to, you know, get more into fitness or be more healthy. All of a sudden I get home and she's running on the treadmill. And I'm like, wow. Okay, well, that's cool. I don't do that, but that's cool if she wants to do that. But it kind of snowballed and became an obsession for her, and I didn't catch it right. right away.
0: That's right. Well, I love how you talk about, you know, some of those natural transitions of kind of attention and support that our kids need, right? I mean, what we know about kind of rates of eating disorder and the development of eating disorders is that often Especially in women, they are in young girls, they they are developing in those kind of transition spaces. So, you know, into puberty and into, you know, um, teenage years, right? How much our bodies are changing, all the messages that we're getting about how girls and, and women should look, and then that natural place of it's it's their kind of job. To separate from us as parents, even if it hurts us, right? As parents, to be like, I'm cool. Like you, don't you want to hang out with me, right?
1: But I felt like I was, I felt like I was doing the right thing by giving her the independence. independence but it didn't work out that way, and it became an obsession for her. And how it actually happened that um, this was revealed to me was that someone at church approached me, and she said. Um, Jason, I need to talk to you about Belle. Um, I think Belle has an eating disorder. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, no, I think she does. Um, I talked to her, and she admitted it to me. I was just shocked, you know? I was, I didn't know what to, to say or think. And that's what got the ball rolling in the right direction for us.
0: I love that you bring that up, Jason, about, you know, sometimes when we're we're so close to some of the disorder, we can't really see it clearly. and And we just really love our kids, and we want to support them. And there isn't anything inherently wrong with, you know, wanting to, quote, be healthy or to get my body strong, right? Not everybody who exercises has an eating disorder, right? We want to be very clear about that. And Sometimes as those changes happen incrementally, we can't see them clearly. And so the beauty of having loving friends and family that love our kids, right, and want them to do well, and your openness as a parent to be able to to maybe first shock, but then really sit with it and hear it feels really, really important. Tell me about when, you know, some of those things that you learned that Belle was doing as far as kind of what was she doing as far as eating disorder behaviors? Tell me about that. Well, so skipping meals, right?
1: He was, she was skipping meals. She wasn't eating at school um, and she was exercising too much. She was getting obsessed with food. It was just becoming unhealthy in a way that she was losing so much weight and it just got worse and worse. And so when we finally um, realized there was a problem, then we had to um, try to deal with it. And where my trust of Belle worked against me yeah. because I was assuming that she was always telling me the truth. And the big moment for me, and when it really set, on, set in with me, is when we did a group family therapy session and the therapist said to me um this is hard for me to get through yeah
0: (laughs) my bad there's so much emotion attached to all of it jason
1: so what i have to remember this helps me get through this is that bell is good she's good now she's recovered so the therapist said to me uh um Jason, do you think Belle is lying to you? Has she would she lie to you? And I said, No. I trust her fully. She would not lie to me. Therapist looked at Belle and said, Belle, do you lie to your dad? She said, I've been lying for a long time.
0: And I think it's important, you know, as you kind of recount that story of acknowledging. You know, sometimes it's helpful when we talk about the eating disorder as being, we, we kind of personify it. You know, some people call their eating disorder Ed. And the reason why we do that is to acknowledge that the eating disorder isn't your daughter. The eating disorder has a very different agenda. Its agenda is to keep you sick and stuck. And its agenda is to lie and deceive and to maintain itself, because the reality is, the more I talk about it, and name it, and confront it, the less I'm able to use it. And so Belle was lying in order to maintain the eating disorder. Belle wasn't lying. The eating disorder was lying. And so what a powerful moment, just painful, but powerful. Was that a transition moment for you and Belle in in that you know, therapy room for you to discover, I've been lying a long time, Dad.
1: Yeah, that was the moment that it hit me. It was the worst moment of my life. But it became the best because that's when everything changed. That's when we realized that as parents, we have to be the boss from now on because there's no more negotiating anymore. Anymore there's no more saying oh that's okay that's when we figured out that we have to take the reins on this and through therapy sessions we did negotiate in those sessions what was going to be done and everyone agreed to it so then you had to stick with that and that was one of the hardest things ever if it was if it was just me I wouldn't have been able to do it.
0: That's right. But it's it was, too hard. It
1: was everyone.
0: It was everyone.
1: And so <clears throat> as a team, we could tackle the eating disorder together. But for one person to battle it, is it's really, really hard.
0: Absolutely. But
1: when we agreed to what the parameters of her recovery was going to look like, then it was just the hard work of doing it.
0: Right? I love that. I so
1: love that. that was, it was the most important moment.
0: Let's maybe back up and talk about, you know, that process of, you know, this lovely a uh, person in your life, you know, approached you and says, hey, you know, I think something might be going on with Bell. And then you make that really courageous decision to access help and treatment. Tell us, what do you remember about, you know, those early, the diagnosis through Melrose and, you know, some of those early moments in treatment through Melrose?
1: Well, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we um, caught it late And so by the time she was assessed, she had to be inpatient immediately. Um, But by that time, we were exhausted from arguing and not physically arguing, but just this intense negotiation, which was not working. And um, it seemed hopeless. It seemed hopeless.
0: I'll take a pause and just describe for our listeners if they're unsure of what inpatient means. So when someone calls in for an assessment at Melrose, you are um, kind of depending on the symptoms that you're describing to our uh, intake coordinator, they're they're going to match you with an appropriate um, caregiver to do the assessment to determine if you meet criteria for an eating disorder. And so I would imagine, based on information that you shared with one of our intake coordinators, they determined that Belle needed to see most likely a medical doctor so her intake was most likely done am I right with a medical doctor or or a medical staff and so at assessment your child or loved one, will, it will be determined what level of care they need. Now, most people, as we mentioned before on the podcast, most people can be helped through outpatient therapy, meaning they return home and they start therapy with a, a therapist, psychologist, with a dietitian, with their full team. However, there are instances where people do need inpatient care. So they need to be admitted into the hospital to restore and gain weight, basically. Or to manage, another way to say it, is to manage the eating disorder behavior. To interrupt that pattern of severe restriction that potentially was happening for Belle. Because I love that you bring up, you know, um, trying to negotiate or... Um, plead with someone who's in the midst of their eating disorder to eat. Eating disorders are not logical so we 're never going to win that fight, right, and so we really do need specialized care, not only through the form of you know therapists, dietitians, sometimes that specialized care includes inpatient care, so being admitted to the hospital with a full team that starts to um, support your loved one in healing from their eating disorder. What do you remember about? Any conversations that you had with Belle when that diagnosis was given and then the recommendation to go into the intensive residential program, what was that like for her?
1: The funny thing is I talked to Belle about this. And remember, she's recovered now. That's the good news. So she's living a normal, healthy life. And I talked to her about this. And you know what she said to me? Dad, I don't remember much about that. I don't remember much about when she was in the bad parts of it. So I think a lot of people think this is going to scar them for life or they'll never get over this. That's not the case for us. Belle truthfully says it's a blur. I barely remember it.
0: Well, especially when our body, you know, we have a lot of information about what our bodies need to kind of, you know, function um, at, at their at their best. And nutrition is one of those key factors. When when my body isn't nourished, we know that our brain isn't thinking in that kind of, you know, effective way. And so I love that you bring that up because many of my patients share, you know, we'll talk in individual therapy, I'll bring something up like, "Do you remember when we first met?" They may say, "I don't actually. I don't remember those early appointments." And that was her experience. Well, take us through. So after that initial diagnosis and then the recommendation, then, you know, once you're in intensive residential, which is determined by your team, you are then discharged to outpatient therapy. What do you remember about when it was, you know, recommended, okay, Belle's in a place where she can now return home and resume or continue, I should say, not resume, but continue therapy with, you know, a psychologist, a dietitian, um, you know, medical doctor, her full team. She, she comes home. Tell us about what that was like.
1: It was fine, but that's when we had to take over the reins of feeding her, and um, that's hard. It's hard making all this food and going through the distraction therapy and such. And um, full disclosure here, Belle did fine for a while and regressed and went back inpatient a second time. And um, it's not easy.
0: That's right. That's not easy. Absolutely. And having that team around to continue to make recommendations and to support you and to have those conversations about, you know, the the path of recovery looks different for everyone. And to never give up hope, right, especially if, you know, the path feels like, you know, I don't like the word regression, but, you know, I might make a slip. Or the eating disorder gets loud again. That's often the way that I talk about it with my patients, right? The eating disorder continued to be in the business of keeping her sick and stuck, and it was loud. And so she needed to go back inpatient for more, you know, we call it a higher level of care, just more support. She needed more support.
1: Yeah. So that just shows how serious this was, right? Good point. So um, that's when we went up another notch, and uh, Belle's mom decided that she's going to quit her job. And take care of Belle. Hmm. Full time. But that was that's what was needed. Okay, so you think about it. I can't quit my job. We have bills to pay. My kid could die. What are you, you going to do? You're going to quit your job. So, um, we just had someone watching her all the time. Now, that, I think, is when she started really getting better is having that constant um someone watching her constantly so there's no cheating anymore you're following all the rules period that's when it started started really getting better you know and everyone's different everyone's different but we had to go to a next commitment level
0: absolutely absolutely Absolutely. To just ensure that, you know, Bell's eating disorder sounds like it was very strong. And, you know, given any opportunity, it makes sense that the eating disorder is going to try and survive. And so, you know, um, cheating or hiding or sneaking, I mean, all of those behaviors are, are very um kind of commonplace that, that families might be struggling. And and it's helpful, again, to remember, right? We know that Belle, when she's nourished and doing well, she's not going to do that. It's the eating disorder that is in the business of all of that sneakiness. Let's maybe focus our attention on just involvement in therapy. So what was that like to be involved in therapy as Belle was moving through eating disorder treatment?
1: It's not something I look forward to. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> There's hard stuff talked about in those sessions, right?
1: It, it was necessary. And um sometimes Belle would cry through the whole thing. Mm. And so... It's just painful. But we had, to, we had to come up with the rules there. Because at home, that isn't the time to negotiate these things. So we had to negotiate it in these sessions. And so... That's, that's what we did. And then we stuck to it because we all had to agree to it and we did. And so that's, that's what we stuck to. So it was, it was kind of like the blueprint and then it's just doing the work, you know? So we did, made the blueprint in the, in the therapies and then we did the work at home and eventually slowly got better. Absolutely. It just takes a long time, but it took about, you know, four to five years and she's recovered. Mm. From it. Huge. So when we sent her off to college, I was really worried, you know, because things seemed to be going good. But, you know, when your kids lived with you your whole life and their whole life, and then you just send them off four hours away, you know, but the college was great. They had people there who could help, and she had people who could keep an eye on her, and it went great.
0: That's wonderful. As you reflect back, Jason, on those years working towards recovery, what may have been some of the hard moments? And and not that we want to focus on the hard, but I think it's important to acknowledge that kind of through the hard comes recovery. And it's important to just name, you know, I was talking with a, a family just recently, and we talked about, you know, eating disorder recovery is hard, but it is possible. They both are true. And so it's, I think it's important for us to name that. Tell us about some of those hard moments.
1: We had to prove to Belle, this is, I think, the turning point for Belle. We had to prove to her that we really knew what we were talking about. At first, the eating disorder and her didn't trust us, right? And so when we got organized and made a chart and charted everything. Now, this might not work for everybody, okay? I know everyone's different, but for us, the turning point was when we got organized and tracked every single thing and went through the plan and added it all up and this is what you ate and this is what the calories are, this was the plan, this is what we agreed to, this is exactly what we're gonna do, period. And we tracked it and you could physically see it, That's and when bell trusted it wasn't just like yeah eat this you know we had to prove it to her and when we did then she was okay with it so that was the, really the key for us now is that fun and easy no it's not fun and easy at all it's the last thing i wanted to do but we had to do it period it. you That's had right. to do it
0: you ju- there was no negotiation well, and I like it too how you talk about again the eating disorder wants to you know challenge and it, and it wants to find excuses to potentially not engage with food and when you just demonstrated for Bell that this is a non-negotiable that this is what treatment is going to look like this is what we expect of you and there's no conversation about it like you have to do it That is really hard to hold those boundaries, right? When our kids are hurting or panicky or stressed. I mean, that's a lot of emotion.
1: And another thing I noticed too was that all family functions all revolve around food.
0: Right? (laughs) Which is good and terrible. (laughs) Well,
1: when Belle was recovering, she didn't like to eat around other people. It made her feel uncomfortable. We had to eat in private. You know how hard it is to go and do stuff? If everything revolves eating publicly. That's right. And I'd never even thought about that before. But then you start thinking about those things and then you start thinking about, and I was even nervous her being around other people because they'd say stupid things that would really make me upset and be triggering for her, like if I eat that brownie, it's going right to my hips. You know, I'm not going to eat that because I'll gain 10 pounds, which obviously is not true, but it's just common things that we say. And so now I am conscious of those things. You don't say those things around people who it could affect.
0: I think it's so important. I mean, what I really hear you talking about, Jason, is your own evolution. Yeah. Like how much you have changed. Can you talk about that a little bit with us? How do you think you've changed?
1: Well, the things that I've said, I'm, I'm more um, aware of it. In a, obviously, if I've said or done things before, I just did it because I didn't think about it, and it's just a common thing to say. And so now I try really not to, and um, I never comment on how people look. <laughs> Amen! <laughs> because there's about 100 other things more important than that. And so maybe we should just be less um, obsessed with that
0: other ways that you potentially may have, you know, other perspectives that changed or, or anything that evolved for you as you moved through treatment with Bell?
1: Well, I appreciate people who go through it now. And so that's one of the main reasons I wanted to do this. And I've al- always done the NIDA walk, the National Eating Disorder Association walk. Um, in the Twin Cities they've had it at the Mall of America and this last year they had it at St. Thomas and so um, I'm going to be volunteering for that because I want to I want to give back a little bit and I want to let people know that there is hope because when I was going through it um, it seemed hopeless it did it's it seemed hopeless I you were thinking I'm going to do this the rest of my life you know I'm always going to be worried about Belle you know, when she's 38 years old, I'm going to be texting her, did you eat? You know, you think it's going to be like this forever, but it doesn't have to be. I don't worry about that at all. You know, it's it's not a big thing for her anymore. And, you know, and I, I told her the way I feel and, um, you know, that I'm so thankful for you guys. And she has moved on. She doesn't feel like she has to do a podcast That's like right. this or do the need a walk. She was like, dad, I, I just, I don't feel like I want to do it. She's moved on from it. Now, as parents, I think maybe it affects us more. <laughs> you bet. Than, than the kids. They're resilient. They, She's got other things to look forward to, right? She's got a lot of other things in her life. But this is something that really affected me a lot. Absolutely. well
0: and and how beautiful that she gets to make that choice yeah i love that yeah i love it
1: of course she's appreciative but she's moved on and that's the point
0: that's the point it
1: can happen that's right they move on
0: does Belle consider herself fully recovered
1: yeah she says it does enter in her mind sometimes but she has the skills um to be able to knock it down and she tells her boyfriend, hey, if I'm doing this or this, call me out on it. Wow. You know, it's and wonderful. she's got other friends, too. And so, yeah, she has a support system. She lives in Chicago now, so she's not nearby, you know. So I can't keep track of her, and I'm not going to text her every day. So, um, you know, she's got her own support system, and she's not worried about it. She's not worried about it.
0: What is it like to see your daughter thriving now?
1: Well, it's awesome because you want to see your kid do well, right? Um, I knew that she could do it. It's huge. I don't know what to say. It's um, a relief. (laughs)
0: Yes, it is a relief. And I like that you're talking about, Jason, the kind of path of recovery is... Like we've said, it it's, can be hard and exhausting and scary, but it is always worth it, and it absolutely is possible. I think sometimes we're, when we're in the midst of a struggle, we can it, it kind of steals our perspective a little bit. It, we, can't, we can't see past maybe just the next few moments, and it makes sense, right? We're, we're, we're not judging that, but the purpose of doing these podcasts and, and having conversations is to give people hope that it really can get better, and to not give up with treatment. So Jason, there are likely listeners who are parents and are in the middle of the recovery work that their child is doing. Any any advice or, or any pieces or comments that you'd like to give them?
1: Well, the number one thing to, to remember is it's gonna get better. You have to have the positive attitude. Now, is that easy to do? No. But um, you could take my example, where I thought it was never going to get better, and it did. Um, you just have to stay focused, and you have to take the advice and just do it. And if it's not working, you go and you figure it out. That's that's what. It, if you get caught up in what everyone says or the outside things, or if you're mad about this, or mad about that, that's not gonna be helpful. Um, You just have to find what works for you and your kid. Now, we had the advantage of Belle being young enough. If there's someone who's older, of course there's more challenges with that, and we didn't have to deal with that. And so I'm thankful of that. Um, Belle didn't refuse to go to therapy we made her go and she did. Sometimes she didn't talk much, but we got her to agree to things and we did it. We did the plan. And so everything's gonna be different for different people. You have to find out what is, you know, positive in your situation and just work in it. And the experts, um, you gotta listen to them. They know what to do, so just try to listen to them. And if it's not working out, talk to them about it and I bet you they have a different solution um, I'm not the expert on this. I read stuff you know I talked to other people you just take every resource you can and do the work I guess if I love you it. if you don't want it that hard it's not going to happen you have to want it we we wanted her we needed her to get better. I think she secretly wanted to get better mm-hmm. she knows she did it's just finding it. Finding it and whatever works, you do.
0: That's right. Well, and I, it's one of our, the benefits of treatment at Melrose is the team approach. That it isn't just one provider, that you're surrounded by a team of professionals that are all in the business of, you know, working to heal the eating disorder. So, you know, your team may include medical doctors, therapists, dietitian, occupational therapists, physical therapists. There's many people who are involved in treating and healing the eating disorder. And I love it that you say, trust them. They, they have a lot of experience and the when there is confusion or question or fear to talk about it not not avoid it but actually bring it up and talk about it and that's where healing happens
1: you're not going to be the first one who this happens to you know they've seen it before and i guess the thing for bell when i talked to her about this i said you know what would you say you know and she said and i'm i'm not quoting her um just in general, she said that Melrose put together a team where she felt she could fight the eating disorder as a team. You know what I'm saying? I it do. wasn't just one-on-one. That's right. One-on-one, it's really, really hard. But when you have a team That's right. behind you... You got it. You can beat it.
0: We're never going to... Right. the The expectation is... You know, when the diagnosis happens, we don't say, you know, good luck to you, go home. Yeah. We say welcome in, like we're here to support you. And that feels, that is where healing happens, right? Healing happens in connection, right? Healing happens when we, you know, are are in relationship. That's where healing happens. And all of those interactions and all of those appointments, it incrementally, right? There, That's where healing is happening. Well, Jason, is there anything that I haven't asked that you'd like to say today?
1: I just want people to be encouraged by this. I mean, that's the reason I'm doing it is because I want them to know that if it seems hopeless, it's not, and you just have to be dedicated to it, and it can work. Now, everyone does it their own way. I'm not saying that this was is the way that everyone should do it, but it worked for us, and the payoff is incredible. Is incredible.
0: That's right. Well, Jason, I cannot thank you enough. I've absolutely loved our conversation today. Thanks. That's it for today. Thanks for joining me. We've covered a lot, so I encourage you to let it settle and filter in. And as I tell my patients at the end of every session, take notice, pay attention, and we'll take it as it comes. I'll talk to you next time. Melrose Heels, a conversation about eating disorders was made possible by generous donations to the Park Nicolette Foundation.